Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues his series in the book of Romans. In this sermon, we are shown that everything God does is for His glory and to display His glory so that all of creation will marvel. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, Justified, Part 5. Verse 21, Um, big thanks in all seriousness to everybody who contributed and labored as part of Vacation Bible School. I just, every single year, I just am just kind of just taken aback and excited about just what it represents, the church family coming together for the purpose, mobilizing for the work of the gospel. There's just kind of a picture in those things when we do back to school block parties and those kinds of things of what the church is. A group of people rallying together, serving for the sake of the name of Christ being magnified. And do want to do want to let you know there were kind of some cool moments yesterday, some special moments in teaching. I get to see the look on their faces. Like a couple moments yesterday, I had to kind of take a little bit of a breath, just kind of get overwhelmed in just the thought of what's happening. What's happening as little souls are hearing the message of the gospel, and, and every once in a while, one of them would would kind of tear up. As, as they're contemplating the bigness of eternity and the way to be saved and to see one of these little kids just kind of welling up. There's just kind of like a, like hitting, uh, understanding the gravity of what's happening. There's nothing bigger that's occurring when souls hear the message of the gospel. This is what God has brought us into. This is what we've been called to. And there's nothing bigger. Well, Romans 3, uh, beginning of verse 21 Let's read together and then we need to pray. Romans 3 beginning in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Please bow with me. Our Heavenly Father, God, we just very simply want to ask that you do amazing and miraculous and cosmic things here. It seems so easy to sit and just listen to teaching on your word. But God, a battle is raging in the heavenly realm. The angels are leaning in to see whether or not we will take you seriously. Whether or not we will bow to your supremacy. And God, I pray that you will win. 
Father, I pray that in this time, you will work in the ways that only you can to draw us in, to captivate our hearts. God, sin blinds us and sin makes us think that worthless things are amazing and amazing things are insignificant. And I ask God that you give us eyes to see according to truth, clarity, O oh God. Father, we'll see this world for how it really is, see you for who you really are. And God, give us a clear picture of ourselves. So Father, we pray, show us your truths, bring us closer to understanding your glory, your worth, your magnificence. And I pray today, O oh God, that we'll understand your righteousness as we consider this truth. Help me to be useful. Help me not to say anything unhelpful, Help me not to do anything just distracting, but only be useful. Help all of us, O oh God, as we bow to you and hear from you. So please, O oh God, meet with us. Give us of your Holy Spirit. Enable us to worship through the receiving of your word in faith. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Well, we're at the end of our study here in this passage that really is at the heart of the whole of the Bible and at the heart of the whole of reality. The Bible's just the explanation of reality. There's, there's one last big truth that we're going to consider. So what we did, we began by walking through the whole passage kind of quickly so that we saw everything. And then we've kind of come through and we've looked at each truth in depth to some degree, some of them faster than others, some more time on. We haven't gone in order of the outline that you have there, but there's just one last truth that we're going to consider together. But let me kind of remind you, remind you of what we've seen. Always remember, you know, True Vine family, there are always some of those uh, listening who have not been able to be with us through the whole study here. We've been building on each truth. The main idea has been this, the passage is about this justification before God has been made available to you from God. We've been spending our time seeing our need of salvation. We've been seeing God show us why it is that we need to be saved. That's biblical language. Why it is we need to be forgiven and made right with God. It's because you're not right with God. Not on your own, not naturally. You, you are in, here's the way I explained it yesterday to the children, you're in trouble with God. But God's made a remedy. You need to get out of trouble with God. You are an eternal creature. You have a soul that is going to exist forever, somewhere, and in some state. If you die and you're not right with God, it doesn't go well with you. You somehow need a way to be brought to peace with God. God. This passage is about how God has made a way for you to be brought to peace with him, how you can be made right with God. Justified is the biblical word for being made right with God, not guilty, innocent before God. And, and I know that goes against the 10,000 voices that you're constantly hearing in the culture, always telling you you're fine and wonderful just the way that you are, always leading you to believe that there's nothing that you need, but the God who spoke the cosmos into existence, the God who made that sun in the sky, which is like 100 billion nuclear bombs exploding every single second, and he spoke it into existence, that God speaks into history and says, you are, there is something you desperately need. You need Christ. You need salvation. And this is how God has made it 
available. The remedy is in his son. And so we've seen this passage show you will never be made right with God based on your actions, your religious devotion, your good deeds. You can never be good enough. It comes by faith in Christ. It's a gift from God, not something that you earn. It's not a paycheck God hands you in in repaying you for good works done. It is a gift given by his grace. It's been made possible through the sacrifice of Christ. So last Sunday, really studied the word propitiation and the sacrifice that Jesus made. Today, there's just one last truth we're going to consider, and it is big and it is beautiful. The way I've got it worded in your outline is this justification vindicates the righteousness of God. Another way of saying that is this justification displays the righteous character of God. It is a demonstration of God's righteousness. All over the world, people question the goodness of God. And all over the world, there are those who do not question his goodness. They just don't think of him at all. They just consider him insignificant. They ignore the one whom they were created to know and love and obey and worship and live in a covenant relationship with. And in the heavenly realm, there are things that God wants to show. There are things that God is displaying. God is infinitely righteous Everything that he does is completely upright. His justice is perfect. His love is perfect. His kindness is perfect. His patience is perfect. His mercy is perfect. And God has worked in a way that he is displaying those perfections. He is displaying who he is. He is displaying things like his creative power and his glory and his sovereignty and his supremacy. But he is also showing the beauty of his character, these perfections, these virtues, these attributes of God that all come together in perfect unity. And the primary thing we're looking at today is this. God has worked the way that he has in the redemption purchased by Christ in order to display to angels and men his righteousness so that we will marvel. In the end, everyone's going to see and everyone's going to marvel. All that God has done has been done for the purpose of displaying his glory. Why did God make you and all things for his own glory? So let's consider this truth. I'm going to do this by teaching four truths that build on each other. Each of them kind of, kind of depend on the next one. So if you're taking notes, you, you, you might write it out, just the, the four truths and kind of see it going. But here's kind of the way that I think of it in my mind. You might think of four blocks. There's going to be a truth laid at the bottom, and then a truth that lays on top of this, a third truth, and then finally the last truth that we will consider. So, so, so understand here, we're looking at just one truth from the passage that comes from verses 25 and 26 from the text. Look, look at it again. We're told that God displayed Jesus publicly. The crucifixion was public. It's been made known worldwide. And I will also tell you cosmically. 
The death of Christ has been made known cosmically. So God displayed it publicly. And then look why the next, the next start of the sentence, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. So that one phrase, that's the primary truth we're considering. But in order for it to make sense, and also I want to do this. I want to show you how it ties into the whole Bible. I want to show you how it ties into just the meaning of all of reality. So we're going to kind of walk through these, these statements here, these building blocks. So here is the very first, very first truth, bottom layer block. If you're taking notes like this, everything God is doing, he is displaying. Everything God is doing, he is displaying. Here's what that means. God is intentionally working in such a way that in the end, when all is revealed, everybody, believer and unbeliever, but also heavenly beings, angels and demons, will see how glorious, how awesome, how supreme, how holy, how delightfully worthy of adoration and captivatingly beautiful he is and all will marvel. Everybody's gonna gasp. Everyone is going to behold God and his works of history and all he has done in creation and everybody's gonna gasp. We should be gasping now. But sin has a it has a blinding effect. But in the end, we're all going to get it. We're all going to stand before God and we're going to see him in his glory. We're going to marvel. We're going to wonder. Believers will marvel in worship and adoration. Those who hate him will still marvel, but it will be in trembling and in fear, having been conquered. But all will marvel and gasp. Now, this is a big truth. This is, this is a big, big truth to get in your minds. And if this is your first time to learn these things, then maybe a couple things, let me just say. One is, it's usually surprising the first time that you hear it because we tend to think in our sin that everything God does, he does to serve me. And I'm telling you, the Bible says Everything God does is for the display of his glory so as to evoke worship and adoration to himself. So it's surprising. The second thing I want to say is uh, to you, if this is kind of your first time to learn these sorts of things, you might be asking, all right, like, is that your opinion or is that in the Bible? Like, where do you get this kind of thing? Here's what I want to tell you. I can't spend the next 40 minutes like proving it to you from the Bible as we have done in the past. So if you want to look more into this, let me tell you homework to do on your own. Whenever we studied through Romans chapter one, verses one through seven, part four, I looked it up and it was about six months ago. You can go listen to that message on your own. And what we did is we took 19 passages from the Bible, spent significant time in about a half a dozen of them and just really let the truth of the Bible just sing into our souls. God unapologetically declaring everything I do, I do for my glory to display how great I am so that angels and men will adore him. But here, here's what sin does to our brains. It's maybe the worst of the worst of what sin has distorted. Do you remember that old commercial that used to be out there? Uh, the guy held up an egg and he said, here's your brain. And then he cracked it, put it in the frying pan. Here's your brain on drugs. Well, here is our brain on sin, a, a corrupting influence that it's had. 
the vastness of God, the bigness of God, the holiness of God, the supremacy of God, the wisdom of God, which are all evident from creation and written internally. Like the information is all available to us. It's unsearchable. It's amazing that to behold him is to gasp at something that leaves you breathless. But our brain on sin has taken what should be big, big thoughts of God and we have reduced him down. And at the same time, we have thought of ourselves as mountains higher in significance than what we really are and what we have done in our brains is we kind of put God just a little bit higher than us. He's a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful, a little bit smarter. Some even legitimately, they really do think they are smarter than God. And even as Christians, we're not immune to this, by the way. Coming to faith in Christ doesn't rocket us into all perfect knowledge. We still struggle with pathetically puny thoughts and views of God. We think about reality and we tend to think that we are real important. We tend to think that when God made the universe, he made it for us. He made it to serve us. This is all about us. When we sort of naturally picture the universe, we kind of picture ourselves in the center and all things revolving around us. But what I'm telling you is that the Bible says that the universe was not created simply to be a home for you. This was a gracious part of God's gift, but it was primarily created to be a display of his magnificence. God made the universe to be a canvas for him to paint on so that when we look on what he's done, we marvel at the one who made it. Now, some, when they first kind of hear this, they think, well, isn't that, you know, wouldn't that be like wrong, like selfish, that kind of thing? Well, when an artist paints to the absolute best of his ability, there's nothing evil about that. Like he's doing it as a display of his talent. And when we see it, we, we marvel at the one who made it. There's nothing wrong with that kind of thing right there. But let's also consider this. It's not wrong or selfish if a wife walks into the living room sees her husband looking at pornography. And and let's just say, for the sake of trying to make this illustration a little closer to reality, let's say that the wife is 10,000 times more gorgeous than the women he is looking at. There's nothing wrong or selfish with the wife walking in dressed beautifully and calling her husband's attention to herself. We recognize the rightness of that in in a few ways. Number one, it's, It's right just because in the covenant relationship, God has designed that husbands and wives give their desire toward one another. But secondly, it's also right in the sense of just accuracy of reality. If she's more gorgeous and more worthy, it just makes more sense for this kind of thing. For God to display his glory, we have to understand some things. Number one, it is righteous, meaning that even In our little illustration, even if the wife were not more gorgeous than the men, than the women the husband were looking at there, it's still righteous that she call his attention to herself. It is, number one, righteous for God to call our worshiping attention to himself. But secondly, it is just accurate. 
because he is infinitely more astounding than any other thing in existence. Every other thing in existence is his mere creation and is not a rival to him. And number three, it is also the most loving thing that God can do. Husbands, when your wife walks into the room dressed to kill and she gives you that look, I don't know a husband alive who complains about that. He's, he sees this as an act of love. It is an act of love to call attention to beauty. I, I wish that the sunrise, whenever there is a gorgeous sunrise, I wish that it would call to me. Because a lot of times I'm in my office with the blinds closed or in a house or somewhere where I'm not seeing, I'm missing out on some beauty. I wish the sunrise would yell to me, come and look, come and behold. That's a gift for God to give you himself. For God to display his magnificence in a hundred thousand different ways is God giving you a gift. Yes, he is calling attention to himself, but there's such a thing as a win-win and a win-win-win. When we get received the greatest gift of enjoyment we could possibly have and God is worshiped. So that's the first truth. Everything God is doing, he is displaying now, right now, we're able to comprehend maybe one one thousandth of a percent of what we're going to have fully revealed one day. That's a big truth. Your worldview is not complete until you put God's glory at the center. But here's the second one. The next truth will build on top of that. God is displaying his glory to men, but also to heavenly beings to angelic creatures. God is concerned with showing his glory to heavenly creatures. Now I need to show you this one from the Bible. Turn to Ephesians chapter three for a moment with me, if you will, please. Ephesians three. Let me call your attention to verse eight there. We're gonna, we're gonna read just a little bit for the sake of context. Verse 10 is where we're really getting to, but sometimes sentences don't make sense until you read a little bit leading up to it. Ephesians three, look at verse eight, read along with me. To me, this is Paul. The very least of all saints, this grace was given. So here's a gift that God gave me, Paul says, to preach to the Gentiles. So he says, I count it a privilege. It's a gift that I get to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Here's what he means by the unfathomable riches of Christ. The God who formed the cosmos with the breath of his mouth has saved you, Christian out of the most disastrous eternity that could be conceived of and is bringing you into the most pleasurable, most enjoyable, soul-satisfying, joyful future that the infinite God could dream of. And you get that, Christian, because the Son of God died for you. What you have in Christ is unfathomable. And every time you tell the message of the gospel, you have been given a gift in that you are getting to take part in bringing others into the unfathomable riches of Christ. So I get to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. Look at verse nine. And to bring to light what is the administration. You might think of the word plan. I, I, I'm showing the plan of God, of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, and then watch this, so that the manifold wisdom of God, so maybe I might say the astounding wisdom of God 
might now be made known through the church. You're involved in this, Christian. Through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Have you ever seen that truth before? Like this is another one of those light bulb moments when you're doing your Bible reading, you see something. And then I'm going to tell you this. I'm showing you this truth, and if you've not seen it before, now that you do your Bible reading every day, because you are right, now that you do your Bible reading every day, you're going to start seeing this everywhere. And there are some of those truths from the Bible that once you see it, you're like, huh, that's in that passage, and that passage, and that passage, and it's, it's a phrase over here. Like, it's just all the time. God is revealing His glory, we understand, to us. But there are others that God is revealing His glory to. He's revealing His glory to heavenly creatures. So God is not only going to reveal things to humanity, we keep talking about on the last day, on the day of judgment, when God shows us the things we don't yet understand. He is even right now revealing to angelic creatures living in the heavenly realms the glories of his grace as well. God is working so that all will marvel and are marveling. All are gasping or going to gasp. Well, pastor, whenever you say angelic creatures, what, what do you mean? Like angels? Demons? Which ones? We're told both. We're told that God is revealing his glory to both. As you start to look through these kinds of things, you see different passages where God describes sometimes talking about the reason why Christians are to obey, even if no other human sees you, we're told. We might say, oh yeah, because God's watching me. Yeah, that's true, and that's the ultimate. But he says more. The angels are watching. And in everything that God is doing, every time God is glorified, his enemies are humiliated before God. God is displaying his glory here as well. In the book of Job, the drama that unfolded in Job's life was prompted by a conversation that God had with Satan. God is the one who suggested to Satan that Job was a blameless man. And the language that is used shows that by Job's obedience, God was glorified. And we, we throw that phrase out there a lot, but part of what it means is people and angels saw God's greatness by the life of Job. And as Satan then was given permission to bring some suffering into Job's life, the big, the big drama, the big question of the whole thing is, will Job honor God? Will Job glorify God? And as he did, God was glorified in the sight of his enemies. God destroyed the boast of the demonic forces. J just like if you have an enemy who just hates your guts, I just can't stand the thought of you. And imagine if your enemy were forced to attend some ceremony where you were like really honored. Like and people gave speeches about how great of a guy you were. Your enemy would just be sitting there and like, ah, I hate this. The demons are humiliated and defeated in the presence of God as he displays his glory. Listen to me, as Christians, when a Christian beats that sin that they've been wrestling with for a long time, God is glorified. Like God is pleased, the angels see and worship. There are several passages that point us to the reason to obey is because the angels are watching and we are influencing their worship. Man, that's a big thought. 
We are being used of God to help stir the worship of angels and we are being used of God to destroy the boast of the demonic forces. Now here was one of my questions the first time I learned this. It went something like, well, don't angels like already know all of that? Like, don't they already know that God is awesome? It's a mistake to think that angels just know everything. And it's a mistake to think that they just know everything instinctively. In the same way that God has been progressively revealing more and more of himself throughout history as scripture was spoken, and then the final big pull of the curtains back in the gospel, the slave God's glory, God has been progressively revealing more and, his, more and more of his glory to angels as well. We're told that the gospel is such a display of God's beauty and glory and righteousness that the angels long to investigate and understand more. God is showing his glory to the angels. Luke 15, you remember that passage that talks about the angels in heaven rejoice every time a sinner repents? The work of salvation is being used of God to fuel the angels' worship more and more. This is just all over the place. In uh, Ephesians 1.21, it says that Christ has been seated at the right hand of the Father, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Let me, let me bring you to one more passage if you'll go there with me. Colossians chapter two. Here's a big one. Colossians 2.15. Colossians chapter one, by the way, is a passage that is all about Christ supremacy and preeminence, which we will be getting to in a little bit here. But that's followed up then in chapter two with a brief discussion on how Jesus's redemption has legally made us righteous. Okay, same stuff going on in Romans three. And then that follows it up with this. Colossians 2, 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. Now that's in the heavenly places. Like the context is showing that's who's been being talked about. The, the Colossian church there was being tempted by a heresy that had crept in to worship angels. That was part of Gnosticism that went on. And so part of what comes out in this is Jesus is king over the angels and the demons. When he had made a pub, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. We could just keep going. First Timothy 3 mentions Jesus's vindication in his righteousness, uh, excuse me, in his resurrection in the eyes of the angels. Scripture even mentions that some of the obedience that we as God's people are to give is for the sake of the angels. Just an astounding thought. God is displaying his glory to men and to angels. And in the end, all will see. But Christian, there's tremendous reward for us in seeing these things now, in going as far as we can to behold God's glory and know all of him that we can. The more we search and seek and see, not only the more is God honored and glorified, but the more joy that comes and the more you will grow in Christ, the more useful we will be. All right, so here's the third truth. Different parts of what God has done and is doing reveal different parts 
of his glory. So different works of God, they show different parts of God. Let me see if I can illustrate some of this. Consider the glory of God that is revealed in creation. Consider the vastness, the bigness of God, the power of God, the supremacy of God, the astounding nature of God that he's revealed in creation. You know, this planet that we live on is a pretty puny, almost undetectable dust microbe compared to how big the universe is. Like we're just one tiny little blip in the vast expanse of all that God owns, all that he formed with his mouth, and all that he rules. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because this is, this is cool stuff and this is going to help your worship if some of these just kinds of thoughts of how big the universe can kind of settle in. And what I'm wanting to show is look at what it, look at what it reveals about God's glory in his creation. That sun in the sky that we look at, it doesn't look very big to us on earth. It's 93 million miles away. There come some numbers that are so big, like we don't know really what to do with them. Too many zeros and we start to kind of like lose track of what's going on there. But that sun in the sky, compared to where we are, I mean, it is ginormous, it's huge. You can fit 960,000 planet Earths into that sun. It's a raging ball of fire that is like billions of nuclear bombs exploding every single second. 93 million miles away takes eight minutes for the warmth and light to get here. And our life is dependent on what God has done in putting us in this position. But it's a dust mite compared to the rest of the universe. You know, to measure the rest of what God has made, we have to stop using miles. We have to start, we have to start using something else. Uh, light years is usually what we talk about there. Uh, a light year is if you were to go at the breakneck speed of light, 186,000 miles per, not hour, not minute, 186,000 miles a second, a second. If you were to do that, that breakneck speed for a full year, 365 days, that's a light year. 5.88 trillion with a T miles. The distance across our little bitty galaxy, like just this one little galaxy that we live in, is 100,000 light years across the galaxy, and we are just one of a countless amount. We can't even keep track of how many that there are. The Milky Way galaxy, we're not even able to count all the stars that are there. Like if you ask, ask astronomers who study this kind of thing, how many stars are there or how many galaxies are there? We don't know. Milky Way galaxy where we live right here, we have to just estimate because we can't count them all. It's estimated that if you were to count the stars in the Milky Way galaxy, if you did one per second, it would take you 2,500 years just to count the ones in our galaxy and every time that the Hubble telescope is turned a new fraction of a degree, some other direction, you know, because we're not just talking about 360 degrees 
like 360 times 360, every single fraction of a degree we turn that telescope, we just see galaxy, and then there's one after that, and there's one after that, and there's one after that, and it just keeps going. Some of the galaxies that have been discovered are 13 billion light years away, and we have no idea how many galaxies there are because we can't count that high. Each one of those galaxies having hundreds of billions of stars. I don't know about you, but that helps my worship. This is astounding. That little sun, that little bitty pipsqueak of a sun in the sky is nothing compared to the rest of what God created. Some of the stars that have been discovered, I don't even know how to get the information in my head. <laughs> like, okay, so, so, so take this. That sun that we have in the sky, like, it's huge, 960,000 planet Earths can fit in that sun. We think it's huge. We know of some suns that are twice the size, not of the sun, but of the orbit that the Earth takes around the sun. Stars twice that size and compared to the biggest that has been discovered, Canis Majoris, which means big dog, Canis Majoris, that little star that is twice the size of the Earth's orbit is just indistinguishable compared to it. Like if this entire half of a stage were the diameter of this and you took a marker and came up to the wall and put a dot there, the dot would be bigger than what the star twice the size of the Earth's orbit is. Like just let your mind be blown by some of that stuff. Think about what God has made. And friends, Jesus rules every molecule of it. He spoke it. Stars, planets, solar systems, galaxies, comets, quasars, pulsars, novas, supernovas. When stars form or explode, it, it's, it's like God is up there just doing it on purpose. He is. He's just displaying. Because every single one of these things, they're just gorgeous. They're amazing. Like, it's all astounding. Now, I've told you in the past, like a grade of blast, a, a, a blade of grass, like really is astounding. And you're kind of like, okay, pastor, you're maybe taking it too far. I mean, on the microscopic level, what's happening here with molecules and cells building? Like, this really is amazing. But you, amazing, you, you look at the blade of grass, you're kind of like, all right, but it doesn't look very exciting. Galaxies do. Stars and supernovas do. Pulsars do. When you see these things, they're so amazing to behold that if an artist just paints a two-dimensional picture of them, we marvel at the ability of the artist. God made the real thing. God spoke it into existence. A sun that is a billion nuclear bombs exploding every second kind of power came about in an instant when he breathes out his mouth. What astounding power. What glory. What majesty. And I hope, I really prayed that the Holy Spirit would kind of bring some of that like feeling of like smallness and wonder. So I'm hoping it's happening. Like as you feel that kind of thing, you're just like, I am littler than I ever thought I was. This place is bigger than I ever considered. As you're feeling that right now, I want to tell you what's happening. You are feeling a sense of God's supremacy. When we say supremacy, and, and when Colossians 1 talks about Christ as preeminent, what, what we're talking about there is a combination of things. Number one, you're feeling how big God is. You're feeling how powerful he is. You're also feeling his absolute sovereignty. 
Sovereignty is that God has the right to do whatever he wants and everybody needs to shut their mouth in front of them and stop questioning him. And he has the power to do whatever he wants. Everybody who questions about, well, God's not allowed to touch my free will, shut up before the God who is supreme over all of the cosmos. And as you feel he's all that matters, it's all about him, you're feeling supremacy. And God reveals his supremacy, his glory, his sovereignty, his bigness in creation. There's a whole lot of applications I'd like to bring from that that we don't have time for today. But friend, do you see in the end all that matters? All that matters is that you are right with this God. That you love, obey, worship, and serve this God. The question that every sane person should be asking is, how can I be right with this God? And friends, in the end, everyone is going to see this. Everyone is going to behold God and those who mock him, they will gasp too. But Christian, don't you just, like, don't you just feel inside of you a burning, like, I want everybody to know this. I want everybody to see this. Why, doesn't it drive you crazy when people treat God insignificantly? Like he doesn't matter. Well, friends, the gospel is the first step. The gospel is how we get awakened to these things. Coming to faith in Christ isn't what throws us all the way forward so that we understand all of this, but the gospel is step one. It's the waking up of faith and repentance and bowing to this God. All right, but coming back to our point here, we gotta keep going. God has created the universe and the heavenly realms for the display of his glory, his sovereignty, his creativity, his splendor, his supremacy, but there is more. Let me mention one that's not part of our text and topic today, but we did all that groundwork, so I wanna go ahead and tell it to you, and it's for your joy. This will make you happy too. God has created the universe and written history, climaxing in the redemption of Christ to also show this truth, the supremacy of his son, that the name of Jesus specifically be exalted to the highest place among men and angels. When Colossians 1 talks about why God has done all that he has done, we are told so that Christ would be preeminent as head of the church. Yeah, it's a big deal for somebody else to try to claim that title. It's a big deal for somebody else to try to claim head of the church. That's Christ. Christ is preeminent. Christ is supreme. God is exalting the name of his son so that men and angels gasp at Jesus. We'll study some more of that out on another day, but here's the last thing. So here are the truths we built on. Everything God is doing, he is displaying. The next block, he is displaying his glory to men and angels. Number three, different works of God show different parts of his glory. Here's the last one. The redemption purchased by Christ has been done so that all will see his righteousness. His righteousness. All are going to marvel at God. But what will they marvel at? Let me give you a sentence that may sound kind of hard at first, but we're going to talk about it. God is infinitely glorious in all of his perfections. God is infinitely glorious in all of his perfections. 
As I tell you about the stars, the quasars, the pulsars, all these things of the physical universe, we are amazed and we marvel at God, but there are certain parts of who God is that are most on display in that. Things like we've been mentioning. Like don't, learning those kinds of facts about the universe, doesn't that help you understand more of the power of God? Like I can't lift a car. <laughs> I can't exert faith on my own. I need the help of God even in that. And God made all those things. Don't we get more of a sense of God's power? Creation reveals God's creativity. It reveals God's wisdom, things like this. But there are other parts of who God is that he wants men and angels to see and redemption in Christ shows it. Think about it like this. It would be possible for a being, a creator being, to be infinitely powerful, but not very smart. Like, I'm not saying that's what God is. Of course not. But it would be theoretically possible. A creator being who had all power, but he wasn't very smart. Like, what if God had created the universe and it didn't work very well? Like, gravity didn't do what it was supposed to. Math didn't work, okay? L listen, God is the one who created these systems. Like, math didn't exist and then God. God created all of these systems to function and things. This is all part of his glorious creation. Like, what if God had created the universe and, like, math didn't work? Gravity didn't work. It was just kind of a flop. Now, you could say, well, isn't there a lot of chaos on the earth and things that are in disorder? And the answer is, yes, but we jacked that up. That's an effect of sin. God created the world perfect and glorious. We are the ones who have brought disorder. We are looking for the day when God sets all right again. But it would theoretically be possible or it would be possible for a creator being to be infinitely powerful and really smart, like omniscient, knowing all things, but unrighteous. See, that's one of the ones that's like the stuff of nightmares. What if God were infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, but were wicked? That would be a terrifying kind of universe. But God is infinitely glorious in all of his perfections. Meaning every attribute of God, every part of his characteristics, every part of who he is, his justice, his love, his mercy, his patience, it's all perfect and perfectly united. God's love and justice are in perfect relationship to one another. Mine's not. Ask my kids parenting in this difficulty between toughness and tenderness, love and discipline. Mine's not perfectly combined. God's is. God's patience and his wrath are in perfect harmony with one another. And when we talk about all of these parts of God's character coming together in perfection, that's his righteousness. God is working in a way to display his righteousness. So the physical universe displays God's glory, God's power, God's splendor, God's wisdom. The work of redemption shows some other parts of who God is and most specifically his character. There's more that God wants to display outside of creation and it matters to him. God's perfect righteousness is revealed in this work. You see all of the character 
all of his holiness, all of his righteousness on display in the work of redemption. The God who will not let sin go unpunished, justice must be accomplished, but in love and mercy, God accomplished his justice on his son so that we can receive this mercy. Love, mercy, justice, patience, all of it perfectly together. God is displaying that he is infinitely righteous, so righteous we will marvel and the angels marvel now. You know, there are atheists who mock God as a tyrant. And they don't even acknowledge God, but they'll say to Christians, your God is a murderer, and they snicker. But the world is also full of those who acknowledge God's existence. They don't deny that he's there, but they accuse him of unrighteousness. Sometimes people do it without realizing it. Christians, we got to be really careful about how we, well, that we not complain about our circumstances or get bitter at what's going on in the world. That is an accusation against the righteousness of God. But you encounter it all the time as you engage in spiritual conversation that there are those who know God is there, but they think of him kind of like how, as teenagers, you maybe thought of your parents, they're so stupid. <laughs> Just really believing that they're smarter than him. Just really believing that, oh, I don't know why he can't get his act together and fix all the hurt in the world. Don't know what he's doing. They really believe they're more merciful than God is. And then there are those. Then there are those who just don't think of him at all. They acknowledge he's there. They just don't think of him as significant. They just ignore him. By the way, Christian, we're not immune to that. We're not immune to the insignificant kinds of thoughts of God. And this is a heartbreaking thing when sometimes maybe a member of the church starts to, you know, miss quite a bit. And we reach out to him. We're kind of asking, hey, you know, every, everything okay? You know, what's going on? That kind of stuff. And sometimes the response is, well, you know, just got other things to do. Listen, they haven't stopped believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead. But what they're not seeing is that he matters. What's not being seen is the supremacy, the worth, the might, the significance of God. But in the end, everyone will see that he is infinitely glorious and infinitely righteous. Listen to me, no one in hell is going to be saying to themselves that it's not fair. The day of judgment is going to reveal God's righteousness. Even their own conscience inside of them is going to agree with God that what they are receiving is right. On the day of judgment, no one will think that he is a joke or insignificant or unrighteous. Everyone will see his supremacy and everyone will see that he is righteous and all will marvel in one way or another. Christian, there's tremendous benefit to us seeing this now though mostly so that we don't waste our lives. If God, the God who formed the cosmos has called you to himself in salvation and commissioned you with a task, go make the gospel known. Why would we trade that? Why would we trade it for billions of dollars? God saving souls and bringing us together as the people of God in the church is the great project of God in history that shows the greatest part of his character. And when all intelligent beings, believer and unbeliever, angels and demons and creatures we don't even know about yet, 
when they look at the great project that God worked in history, the salvation of souls through his son, they will see Jesus seated at the head of the church and the supremacy of God will be known. Christian, you are a part of something way bigger than you. And non-Christian, you're missing the only thing that matters. You're missing the only thing that actually matters in the end. Everything else will be shown to be trash in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is supreme and glorious and righteous. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him to be saved. In the end, all that matters is that you are right with this God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, every truth that we just looked at, every beautiful, wonderful truth, I pray, oh God, that the devil's birds will not come and pick away the seed. I pray that it will not just lay there on hard, stony hearts But Father, I pray, make it to bear fruit. God, transform us. Every Christian in this room, Father, I pray, grow, sanctify. Show them more of yourself. Show us your supremacy. And in seeing that, make us to be different kinds of people. But anyone in the room that is not yet trusting in Christ, oh God, please show them the emptiness, the vanity the futility, the meaninglessness of a life attempt to get joy outside of you. Draw them to yourself. Please give us your blessing, O God. We pray this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were deeply impacted by Pastor Josh LaGrange's message titled, Justified Part 5. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.